to the prayer for illumination. Lord, open our understanding by the power of the Holy Spirit, that as the word is proclaimed, we may receive holy wisdom to understand the gifts you have bestowed on us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The first reading is from Psalm 112, verses 1 through 9. Praise the Lord. Happy are those who fear the Lord, who greatly delight in God's commandments. Their descendants will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in their houses, and their righteousness endures forever. They rise in the darkness as a light for the upright. They are gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with those who deal generously and lend, who conduct their affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be moved. They will be remembered forever. They are not afraid of evil tidings. Their hearts are firm, secure in the Lord. Their hearts are steady. They will not be afraid. In the end, they will look triumph on their foes. They have distributed freely. They have given to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Their horn is exalted in honor. The voice of the Lord, powerful and full of majesty. Thanks be to God. Our gospel reading for this morning picks up right where we left off last week, Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 13. Listen to Jesus' words to you today. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hid. People do not light a lamp and put it under a bushel basket. Rather, they put it on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, O Christ. Christ. Let's pray. Israel's jealous God, giver of love's law, in whom there is no blandness, 
no dullness of oppression. Liberate us from all that numbs compassion. To find in your commands light undimmed and flavor unrestrained. Through Jesus Christ, the fulfiller of the law. Amen. Frederick Douglass said that it is easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. And of course, he's right. What we teach our children has an enormous impact, which is, of course, why there are battles going on in school boards all across our country. And what we teach matters, but not just with our curricula. (laughs) We teach our children everything they need to know simply by the way that we look at them. Toni Morrison said, it's interesting to see when a kid walks in the room, your child or anybody else's child. Does your face light up? That's what they're looking for. She went on to say that when her children were young, she thought that she was showing them care by fussing over their appearance to see if they had buckled their trousers or if their hair was combed or if their socks were up. And so you think that your affection and deep love is on display because you're caring for them. It's not. When they see you, they see the critical face. What's wrong now? Then I tried from then on, if you let your face speak what's in your heart, when they walked in the room, I was glad to see them. It's just as small as that. She is exactly right. This is what we've been trying to do the past year and a half here at Covenant. You may have noticed the back of our bulletin, right? It says, the way we welcome children here directly affects the way they respond to the church, to God, and to one another. Let them know they're valued members of our church family. Please welcome our children and give a smile of encouragement to their parents. Now, you may not realize this, but what we've been up to the past year and a half is quite radical. For the past several decades in our country, churches have been separating children from adults in worship for part or all of the worship service. And after many decades of this grand experiment, the results are in. And the church is smaller and older than ever. You see, most children who are raised uh, without attending worship with adults, when they have the choice about whether or not they're going to go when they're adults, they choose not to. That's just the way it is. So for you adults in the room, by a show of hands, how many of you grew up sitting next to your parents in the pew in worship? See, all the hands. Yeah, and you're still here. That's the point. At Covenant, we've taken this radical step to welcome children back into worship, even though at times it can be difficult. But we do it because we want our faith to last beyond us. We want this church to actually have a future when we're no longer here. That's what I want. And for that to happen, it's not enough to simply have our children in this room, though that's good. If our faces don't light up when they are here, if they see the critical face instead of the face of delight, then we should not expect them to return when it's their choice because it's easier to build strong children 
than to repair broken people. Well, Jesus is in the business of doing both. We are still at the beginning of his famous Sermon on the Mount, where he is telling us, describing what life is like in the kingdom of God, wherein we take our place in the kingdom of all creation. So last week we heard the Beatitudes, nine statements of Jesus' reparative work, where he blesses those painful and shameful experiences of our lives, poverty of spirit, sorrow and injustice persecution, all these things that we think would exclude us from God's blessing. Jesus says, no, actually those belong too. That's reparative work, where the brokenness of our lives is integrated into a larger story. But now, like a a good therapist, Jesus is going back to the very basics of our identity. And he wants us to know exactly how God feels about us when we walk into the room. Who are you? You are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. That's who you are. It's not something you aspire to. It's not a status that is conferred upon you after you prove yourself worthy. You are the salt of the earth because, well, because Christ says so. I love salt. Oh, man. It makes everything better. I love this whole movement of like, let's put salt on our desserts too. I'm like, yes, on everything. I love all of it. Give me the kosher salt or that pink Himalayan salt. Just old plain old iodized salt. I'll take all of it. Now, you can ask my family when I cook if my food is ever undersalted. And the answer is No. Sometimes it is oversalted, but never undersalted. Salt both enhances flavor, but it also preserves. And as much as I love salt in this world today, imagine its importance in a world without refrigeration. If you were, oh, I don't know, let's say maybe a fisherman in the first century, and you wanted your catch to last more than an hour or two, what were your options? Salt, it. Eat it now or salt it. It's the only option you had. Salt was so valuable in Jesus' time that Roman soldiers were often paid their salary in salt. And that's actually where we get our word salary from. It's from the allotment of salt that they got. And so if you were a good soldier who did your job well, you were worth your salt. And so that's what Jesus is saying about you. You are not just worth your salt. You are the salt itself. And not just for this person or that person, but for the entire earth. Your very presence enhances and preserves that which is good. Your presence makes the world better. So think to yourself, what if Jesus wanted to give a deeper affirmation of my identity, what might that sound like? That's about as deep as it can get. Jesus says, this is who you are already. Remember, we're at the beginning of his teaching. This is not something you have to aspire to. It's not something you have to work hard for or earn. It's not because you obeyed the law. Perfection is not something God demands. It's something God provides. So all God is asking of you is to not hide who you are. A few weeks ago, we celebrated 
baptism of our Lord Sunday, and we got to talk about my favorite story in the Bible, Jesus' baptism, and I told you that the entire Christian life is all about coming to believe that what God said about Jesus in his baptism, God says about you as well, that you are my beloved child in whom I'm well pleased. That's the entire Christian life. Now, some of you might have heard that and thought, that sounds really great, Joel, but God said that about Jesus, didn't say it about me. Well, here we are now, a couple chapters later, and Jesus' very first public teaching, and his words to you are simply another version of what God said about him, that who you are is good. Let's don't try to be something else. In fact, the only thing standing in your way is when you try to be something that you're not. When we live as though our identity is something other than essentially good, then We are hiding who we are. We're acting like unsalty salt, and that doesn't do anybody any good. So instead, just be your delicious, salty self. Don't be afraid to let your goodness season the world around you. Jesus is building strong children. Now, sadly, the dominant form of Christianity the last couple millennia has said that the job of the preacher, the job of the church, is to cut people down to size. Humans, we've been told, are so sinful and prideful by nature that they need to be brought down a notch, or two, or twenty. It's only after we've told people how bad they are that suddenly the grace of God will shine forth. Any of you taught some version of this as a child? I, I was. And guess what? When you're taught it as a child, it's really hard to undo. There's a scene in my favorite television show of all time, Lost, where Sawyer tells Jack, he says, you see, kids are like dogs. You knock them around enough, they'll think they did something to deserve it. That's exactly right. There's a lot of ways you can knock a child around. You can do it with your fists, and you can do it with the Bible. And so for all of you who've endured Preachers, or teachers, or parents who've knocked you down over the years. I hope today you can hear from Jesus' own mouth that you are the salt of the earth. You don't deserve to be knocked around anymore. You never did deserve it. What you deserve is to live into your essential goodness, to let the world see you for who you really are and all of your beauty and your fabulousness. This is kingdom identity. Who you are, who you love, isn't sinful. It's good. Because you are the salt of the earth. And if that isn't enough, Jesus goes further and he says, you are the light of the world, so let your light shine. And no matter how many times I have heard this or read it, it always stops me in my tracks. It feels just too much, Jesus. I prefer John 8, 12, where he says, I am the light of the world. Like, oh, that's no problem. Great. See, if Jesus is the light of the world, then it's my job just to reflect his light. That's not what Matthew says, is it? In this case, Jesus didn't say, you reflect the light of the world. No, he says, you are 
the light of the world. We don't merely reflect the light that is outside of us. The divine light shines in you. You are the light of the world. Well, think what was the very first thing God creates in the Genesis story? God creates light. And God calls the light good. And here we are at the beginning of Jesus' story. And he is telling us that that same light shines in us. So shine on. You don't need to live up to some law or standard to be good in God's eyes. You're good simply because God said so. Shine on. Though you may have been told differently by parents or pastors or by the world at large, their vote no longer matters. All that matters is how God sees you and how you see you. And Jesus came to tell you that when you walk into the room, God's face lights up with delight. Because you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Be your salty self and let your light shine for all the world to see. Shine on. Amen.